The year is 1964. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover. My Marvelous Year. I'm Zach, the comic book newcomer, and along with Dave, aka Stretcho, we discuss the most important issues of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. This is our variant cover episode for 1964. We're going to be discussing your listener feedback, the poll results, and just kind of an overview of 1964 in general. At the end, as always, we're going to put some deleted scenes and outtakes and uh, this one, actually, we've got like a five-minute discussion of Magneto that we had to clip from the main episode because it just <laughs> kind of dragged the whole episode down to a, a halt, but it was still pretty interesting, so stick around until after the credits. I'm actually really curious to hear that because I do not remember <laughs> what we talked about. I, I'm assuming it was kind of like a big-picture Magneto combo, not just his role this yes, year. Yes, exactly. That's why it didn't really fit. We kind of discussed his his overall place. Okay. And how he changes. It was in reference to him taking over that island and how I was like, <laughs> it wasn't the real Magneto, according to me. I was being fussy about it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think like, honestly, I would say if you have big picture questions like that, or you're like, hey, how does this compare to, you know, later stories or movies or things like that? These variant cover episodes are a good place to to talk about those. So definitely, um, if you're listening, get your questions into mymarvelousyear at gmail.com. And we will go through as many of them as we can, and as well as just like feedback. Like this is this is yeah. the place where we will just read that, and obviously that's that's what we're heading towards this episode. Yeah, we'd love some you know like constructive criticism. That'd be great. But like, but like very constructive. Like oh, not yeah, like not, if it hurts not, my feelings, we might just stop doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not like hey, uh, I don't like your personalities. So could you uh, you do something about that? <laughs> Yeah, we this this year's listener feedback is really interesting. We we didn't get any like broad overview talks about what people thought of the comics. We got some more pointed questions, which are pretty interesting. Yeah, that we're going to talk about. If you want to support the show, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. We're I don't know, kind of blown away by the support so far, and we're just building it up. We just crossed we just crossed fifty patrons and two hundred dollars of support, which is like amazing for being less than two months in. Oh, should I announce that we're going to do a little special thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. I, I've been putting off announcing it because I want to make sure we're actually doing it, but we're going to. Um, and uh, and just as a, a little thank you for hitting those milestones of crossing 50 patrons, uh, we're going to put out a special episode later this week where we're doing a little Captain Marvel primer in preparation for the movie coming out. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be... It, just a little something for our patrons, and we're going to just do a, a quick overview of who Captain Marvel is and where we recommend starting with her if you just want to get a, a little idea of who this character is before you go see the movie like I did. Because I, I had very little context for her before this last week. Yeah, and I've got some choice picks for modern starting places that I think are maybe a little outside the like 
I don't know, comic book industrial complex of, oh, start here <laughs> recommendations. Um, but I, yeah, but I think one of the, a little better. One of those is weird. So yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about that. Look, that, look for that in your patron feed. Cool, cool. I would say if you're interested in My Marvelous Year, definitely you can also read along at your own pace, of course, and you can check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, we're listed in iTunes, Google Play, really any podcast player of choice. Um, we should be in Stitcher, Spotify, all that fun stuff. So subscribe. And if you like the show, please, uh, any rate and review that you can do will go a long way to helping us. And thanks to everyone who has done so already. So for 1964, we had the poll, what is the most dangerous science in the Marvel Universe? So coming up in fifth place with only one vote are Flames, Johnny Storms. Uh, my wife had a real problem with this option because she's like, it's not science. It's just he's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might have been a stretch. Like, I guess it's I guess it's the use of his flames. Yeah, well, he such weird ways. Yeah. Yep. Second place, much to my chagrin, glue. Yeah. <laughs> with only two votes. Yeah. I mean, what is the love for paste pot Pete? It, it it's also it's hard to treat as super dangerous. Um, I mean, it, you could say you can make an argument that everything evil that Baron Zemo does is a direct result of glue, having that bag stuck to his head. That is an argument you could make. I mean, I think it's a pretty good argument. Like, he probably would not have been quite so mad. <laughs> he was already a Nazi. I'm not, I'm not yeah, going to okay. discount <laughs> That's fair. his previous choices in life, yeah. Uh, third place are Rays, so Ion, Gamma, and Cosmic with six votes. Uh, and second place, Magnetism, so Magneto's powers, Thor's hammers. That's seven votes. Number one, by a landslide, nuclear power, mm. including... Atomic power and radiation. Yeah. Do you completely sidetracking making this about me? Do you ever notice how I say nuclear? Uh, nu- nuclear. Uh, I, I got some feedback. I just assumed you were a big like, Simpsons fan. Someone told me to like stop saying it wrong. Um, and I just like I have the hardest time hearing myself because the wrong way is to say nuclear. Nuclear. That's the wrong way. Nuclear. I thought I said. Nu- I think nuclear, nuclear sounds cooler than nuclear. So I, I am Nucle- generally forgiving. Nuclear. Yeah. yeah. I, I If I say it wrong, I, I just can't change it. I'm just, I'm doing the, the George Bush thing again. Anyway, so nuclear power. It's another thing you guys have in common. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, they just keep stacking up. Um, the uh, Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's kind of the landslide because three quarters of That's a big one. villains and heroes got their powers this way. Everything just has that word attached to it at this point in Marvel Comics. Like It's also so comically wrong compared to right. like what we know of atomic weapons today. And yeah. basically like it's kind of treated like a an explosive device, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it just a like a regular old bomb. And it's like, no, like if Ben strapped an atom bomb to his back and walked into a whale, <laughs> there would be much larger repercussions. <laughs> or, for example, if Thor threw the radioactive man back at China, you know, like the implications of of there's there's an alternate reality somewhere in the Marvel Universe where like everyone's actually suffering from the deadly, deadly effects of all this radiation. And it's horrifying. But the thing is. But this man, this monster, is just the thing walking around because everyone around him keeps getting uh, keeps getting cancer. Yeah, it's a little Marvel <laughs> zombies, why. but even sadder and and way less genre. <laughs> yeah, I mean th- this gets played a lot. People make fun of that a lot, right? 
Yeah, like it's it's not it's not understood at this point. And obviously, like that's just you know you see those videos of of Cold War era, like you know kids hiding under their desks at school, and like that's how you <laughs> you know it's like it's it's laughable now, but it's also like sad, and terrifying that that yeah. was like well, I mean, a real people, thing. People knew, or the people who were making those decisions understood that they were just kind of giving us something to do, sure, sure, <laughs> to make us feel better, like we were you know. Like it wasn't just inevitable. Yeah, so that's that's not a, a surprise winner to me. I do think Magnets um, makes sense as second place as well, just because Magneto's I don't, Magneto's power set too. Like that one continues. It like maybe it doesn't have the the hokey Silver Age dialogue around it, but like magnetism continues getting used in pretty insane ways. I would say it, certainly through the two thousands. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, pretty fun. At least this wasn't the the runaway beatdown that the Stanley versus Jack Kirby was. Yeah, and I th- I think next week's is going to be a lot more contentious. I hope. I think we we came up with a good one for next week. Again, if you want to support us on Patreon, you get access to these polls. So thanks for that. Um, let's get into some listener feedback for 1964. Cool. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll take the first one. So we have from Mariano here. I think the most important issue in this year is Avengers number 4 and the return of our Golden Age hero. As you already know, I'm not American. In Argentina or other countries, Cap is a hero beloved because of the comic book and MCU fans. But for the general public, it's really difficult to make people understand that he represents more the heroism and the people than any government. It's great to read about how he comes back from his past. In the first panel, he's meeting an artifact which was becoming a family member, the TV. His spirit makes Cap in America an emblem of those values that seem lost. The ones our grandparents taught us and we should never forget. Welcome, Cap, to my marvelous year. Uh, that's a really interesting perspective, I think. Thanks for the, yeah. for the letter, Mariano. Um, definitely, I, Captain America, having America in his name, and, of course, being in, you know, an American creative, like, uh, creative idea in the 40s as a response to World War II and, and the rise of yeah. Adolf Hitler— Oh, like straight propaganda. Yeah, it it's an interesting dynamic, I think, to the character that he had, like the fact that he has achieved value beyond our borders, I think is a testament to like even what Lee and Kirby are doing here in just making him a hero and not like a prop. Um, I think he easily could have become that. And you see some of those golden age heroes that are kind of just like government props and Captain America doesn't really feel that way, even in the golden age stories. Um, you know, there's, you get some of that like ham-fisted patriotism in there. That is the yeah, product yeah. of the era, certainly. And I don't think inappropriately so. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of cool that he has had like a reach well beyond America because he could just be this like silly, I don't know, little like symbol of red, white, and blue. Yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like I see some of that now in the silver age, but not in a way that's different for him than anyone else. Right. Because like. Stan and Jack and the rest of them, whether or not it was just because it was the, you didn't want to say anything that was not vehemently anti-communist at the time. Yeah. But they, they do somewhat seem like a mouthpiece for, for some pretty strong, like slightly jing- jingoistic. Is that too strong of a word? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's strong. Honestly, I, I mean, I think like they are not taking a subversive stance. They are not taking a generally even like an anti-war stance which would be seen as like you know sort no, of they're taking a pretty a solidly pro-war stance with their like the way that they talk about the chinese and the russians south american countries and any form of communism basically they are 
very, very strongly against, but without any, there's no discussion of it or anything. I, I just think like, I, and this is also looking back at this in the past, right? Like we have looked at how America has treated South American countries and interfered with them. I mean, I know, but I think the point there though is like, it, that's still, that is still a debate. I want to say today, like if a general, yeah. uh, 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 well, I, I don't know. I mean, do, do people really debate that we should have like, well, that's the thing though, is you don't know. But like, if you just went out on the street and asked 10 people like, Hey, did we treat South American countries fairly in the sixties? You would get 10 very different answers. The level of knowledge and understanding around that is going to vary wildly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think more people aren't aware of it and that might just have been the case then. Like I'm aware of it now because I have Wikipedia. Right. And Stan and Jack might not have been. I talked about this on extra issues a lot because like they talk about some Nick Fury working to fight for democracy in some South American countries. And that's like literally opposite of what America was doing at the time. Yeah. Like America was really involved in dictatorships at the time. And that's just what happened. Like that's not some conspiracy theory. That's pretty documented. Well, and certainly there's no benefit of hindsight here. Like we can I think the easiest one is like Vietnam. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. We can very easily, with hindsight, look at that and say, like, what a mess. Whereas Stan and Jack are like, we're sending our – throw Jack in there. I don't know that he would have had that much. But Stan certainly writing his, his dialogue and pop and circumstance and all that. He's looking at it like, we just need to support our troops. That's just mm-hmm. what he did, right? And you're coming out of World War II as, like, you know, greatest generation getting their chance to say how they feel about it. That's what you do. So it, that stuff's not super surprising. Yeah. I And I, I'm not – yeah, I, I don't think, like, because they had the foresight for World War II, right? Or the hindsight, looking back right. at World War II. I'm just, I guess when it comes to, like, current issues, things that were happening at the time, I guess, you know, that that's the thing, is they were just reacting to what's happening at the time. I think it will be really interesting when public opinion starts to shift and become more splintered as we move into the Vietnam era, strongly, and... The era of like college protests yes. and people being strong in Watergate and watching how Captain America deals with that, right? Like, yeah, totally. That, that like it is becoming more embedded in the public that like, oh, our government sometimes does things that most people don't agree with and it's becoming more clear to people. And how does Captain America square that circle? Yeah. And I think that's probably the point that I wanted to get to when I first started talking about it was Cap, he's not really interjected in like policy. Or in right. the state of America at this point, which is interesting to me because he's named Captain America. But like you're saying, once we get to the 70s, then you've got all these new writers with um, with different perspectives and with different political viewpoints saying, actually, this guy represents the American ideal. What does he what would his reaction be to Watergate? What would his reaction be to things that are actually happening in the political moment. Um, so that'll come certainly, but it, yeah, I, I do think it's cool that like he sort of starts out separate from that. I mean, I think it would have been, yeah. definitely it would have been a harder sell if he had come in like I'm Captain America and Vietnam stinks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that would have been a really bold play and it's not what they did. Um, and I think as a result, that's why somebody, Mariano from Argentina can be like, he represents a lot more, um, and likewise, too, like if you asked any MCU fan, they would have, I mean, what are his like political connections? Like I, the idea of Chris Evans being like a symbol for America seems, yeah. uh, doesn't really seem like the angle they've, they've taken. I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's found the identity in being trying, trying to be a symbol for American ideals rather than American government, right? That's pull, yeah. like, pull those apart in a big way. 
Which is true and correct, and everyone should think that, right? Like, the government is not the country. It should, you know, we, we our national identity is built on something larger than what our government is doing. I don't, I don't think that's, some people might disagree with that, but I don't think that's a wild stance to take. And I think that's, like, the identity crisis that Cap's going to go through for a while is how to represent America while also having problems with what the government is going to be doing. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way of saying it, is he's, Cap is the ideal regardless of the status of government and yeah. and like you'll get counterpoints to that like i think of later the character u.s agent who is like government you know so and i think that is why the ideal i think has appeal well beyond just america because it's an ideal of of yeah. humanity and freedom that i think can extend to almost anywhere. yeah i think that's what mariano's saying yeah yeah so that was a long-winded way of getting to i see i think that's like when you start getting to the core of cap it, it brings up so much about america and and values and these big heady topics that honestly at this point is just like a character fighting bad guys what are you gonna say there's there's a conversation i've been wanting to have that i don't know if we want to slot it in here or try to find another time about like marvel yeah we'll wait until we have more writers to talk about but the way that like marvel feels kind of like schizophrenic in the way that switching out writers, you're going to have Captain America be like this total rah-rah nationalistic war machine in some issues. And then you have him being like standing up on the side of Vietnam protesters and pacifists later, right? Like, and you'll just see that character switch around depending on who's writing him. And so you get this kind of like weird, yeah, I don't know, this strange clashing of characterizations over time. Yeah, I think that's something that's, you're going to see across heroes definitely as we it, it definitely becomes more pronounced as we go and get different creative teams. I think Cap it probably stands out a lot in because he I don't know, he's like the paragon of virtue. And depending on who you are, that means different things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think that's yeah, we'll t- we, we can we can discuss that more when we get more writers in. Do, do you know I've actually been trying to find this. Maybe you can point me in the direction. Do you remember a story where Captain America is like kidnapped and it's a more modern one. He's like kidnapped and tied up, I think in Vietnam. And some guy is like lecturing him about all the evils of America. Do you remember this? No. And some guy is trying to like tell him, you know, basically show him why what he's fighting for is evil. And I, I remember reading this when I was like 18, 19, I think. Okay. And it like blowing my mind because I was like, whoa, like turns out America can do some bad stuff too. <laughs> like yeah. this guy was trying to like lay down facts about like why Vietnam was evil and it ended with some line, the villain, one issue ended with him saying, now, uh, let me tell you about the most evil man who ever lived, Richard Nixon. <laughs> um, and I've been trying to find those issues ever since. Yeah. I, I don't know just from that. Yeah. Which one that would be. Yeah. Well, I'll find it eventually. Um, okay. Let's move on to our next, our next piece of listener feedback. This is from Tyler. Hi, Zach and Dave. The Beatles' debut album for Capitol Records, Meet the Beatles, was released in the U.S. in 1964. The band also visited the United States for the first time this year. Please tell us which member of the Fantastic Four would be each Beatle. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on this. Uh, I already read his responses. So who would Reed be? So it's kind of <laughs> difficult because you don't want to call anyone Ringo in this scenario. You know. Yeah. Um, I think. <laughs> yeah. Start with start with that one, right? So who's Ringo? It's like, it has to be Sue, but that pains me to say, you know, because <laughs> at, she... At, at this point or in general? 
uh, at this point. So definitely, okay. definitely in the 60s, in 1964 in particular, Sue would be your Ringo because she is, Tyler wrote here, you know, she's the glue. She's friends with everyone, unfortunately overlooked. That's totally true. I mean, Ringo's just like, give us the backbeat, man. Don't do anything crazy. <laughs> just just be the support system for the, for the unit. And that's definitely Sue's role at this stage. Again, I, that pains me, but she'll become a lot more interesting. Let's, I'll read through his responses. Yeah. We've got Reed Richards is Paul, the leader and the genius. Ben Grimm is John, the irascible, emotional one. Johnny Storm is George, the kid with the chip on his shoulder. And Sue is Ringo, the glue, friends with everyone, but unfortunately overlooked, especially early in the 60s. See, I, those are really interesting picks. Uh, pretty well, pretty well articulated. Thanks, Tyler, for the fun <laughs> idea. I, yeah. I think the only one that I would potentially flip would be Ben as Paul. And Reed is John because okay. Reed actually to me is a little more irritating the way like John Lennon could get under people's <laughs> skin. But he's also, yeah. I would say the genius label probably yeah. would apply more to John. John Lennon, yeah. Actually, whereas Paul is like fan fave, um, just like super, like everyone loves him. And that's actually how I feel about Ben Grimm in this era is like – you can't read these 60s comics and not love Ben Grimm. Um, so those would probably be the two that I'd consider flipping. And it, otherwise, though, I mean, I this is hard to argue with. Johnny's definitely George. <laughs> I think that's no problem. Um, right down to going on to later accidentally plagiarize uh, his first major hit. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, well, let's modernize this a little bit. If you had to assign all Fantastic Four members to be a member of One Direction, who would it be? Who's Nile? Who's Liam? Who's Harry? Who's Louis? Yeah, those are those are definitely all the guys in One Direction. I could have just made up four names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. If they sounded British enough, I would have gone with it. Yep. Are they British? Oh, they are. I didn't even know One Direction was British. Are they? You said <laughs> Liam, so I just went. With oh them. yeah, I mean Nile, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, Harry, come on. He's a prince. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to. I had to Google their names. I, I do not know One Direction. I will say I'm generally not that horribly out of touch with pop culture, <laughs> increasingly so. But uh, One Direction is definitely like, it's sort of like YouTube culture. I just don't get it. Yeah, I, that stuff like, why, I, I feel like I'm pretty plugged in to music and somewhat into like popular music. But sometimes you get these huge super bands and it's like, I don't know one of their songs. Like, I mean, Justin, right. Justin Bieber. I don't think I know a single Justin Bieber song. Oh, no, I know like, my beeps. Do you, is he on the radio? I feel like I don't hear him on the radio a lot. I mean, if you didn't hear What Do You Mean, I you had your head in the sand. Um, Sometimes that happens. He was also on a DJ Khaled track that was huge a year or two ago. Beebs has connection. He's on the Chance 3. Come on, man. Beebs has been everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean... I Like, I, I know he's a rat. I just don't think I know his songs, right? And I feel like there's other artists who I just have to absorb their music because it's around me, even if I'm not choosing to listen to it. But Yeah, I, I, like One Direction is probably one that I've heard at the gym and just not realized it was them. Yeah. I would sure. imagine. Yeah, it's probably the same. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to pass on trying to <laughs> trying to put the finesse floor <laughs> in that fan. Yeah. Um, okay. So, thanks, Tyler. It's pretty fun. Oh, do you want to do the next one? Peter writes... Hey, Dave and Zach. One of the interesting things about reading these old comics is seeing dated quirks that aren't related to the stories. For instance, Marvel printing fans' names and addresses in the letter section so they can buy, sell, trade back issues of comics because the company didn't have the means to reprint them. 
or pinup pages, which I'm presuming you were meant to tear out and pin to your wall, something most people today wouldn't dream of doing since comics have become a collector's item. What are some other nuances you guys have noticed that you think are fun or interesting? Love the club and show y'all. Thanks and keep it up. Thank you, Peter. Um, those are those are really good highlights, I think for sure. The the full name and address always blows my mind today, even though like that will continue for a bit. Yeah. Um, it's not like that's just an era of the sixties specifically. But yeah, that one always surprises me. For sure, someone must have written, you know, either a, an angry letter or a letter praising Marvel, and then someone in response started sending like response letters to those letters to the people who wrote the letters right like well someone must have yeah someone wrote in impugning crystal and johnny's relationship in the fantastic four and then someone who loves crystal and johnny must have written to them like how dare you (laughs) yeah i mean you do there are some examples um one that i've seen recently highlighted by uh comics historian Douglas Woke is uh, in the pages of Master of Kung Fu in the 70s, you actually get like an interesting dialogue almost um, about like the the use of it, like basically like how Asian characters are portrayed in the magazine and all the implications of that. And you get like recurring letter writers um, who write in and sort of have this like, again, dialogue with the with the creative units. So yeah, I think I think you're not wrong to think like definitely you're going to get people responding like a little like um, letters to the editor style, like in the newspaper. Yeah. You know, that's definitely something I've seen where they're like, I want to respond to this letter that was printed in Tuesday's mag. No, no, I'm saying specifically like I'm mad at this person. So I'm going to since their address is here, I'm just going to. Oh, like I'm going to mail their house. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. I don't know about that. I I hope that was few and far between. Um <laughs> but i mean i I just wouldn't put it past people based on the fact that like anytime someone writes something even slightly negative about someone's favorite superhero they're on twitter their their dms will fill up with how dare you well it is that's the nicest way of putting it it is an interesting like call out of fan culture because the reason it seems crazy today is if my address got posted in a Marvel comic that I said, I don't know, something as innocuous as, yeah, I like Captain Marvel. That could lead to all sorts of scary situations at my home address. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just getting like getting uh, mailed packages of tofu and like <laughs> letters just with soy boy. <laughs> at, at best. Absolutely. Yeah. At best. That's what happens. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know that fan culture was definitely better. I'm sure there was a lot of gatekeeping and and similar behaviors but i i think today like i don't know there's an expectation of enraged fans that doesn't allow you to put your address in and that kind of sucks i i like this i like the idea (laughs) of this being a safer space where this wasn't an issue even if maybe it was just naivete or something Mm. do you know about um millie the model have you read much of that I know about Millie, but no, I have not done a big Millie read. There's one Millie the Model issue in Marvel Unlimited that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in an extra issues newsletter soon. But there's something I've been trying to verify this throughout the issue. It's about models, right? So they're uh-huh. constantly like switching outfits, which is a kind of a, a, a cool excuse to just design. So they have all these like really interesting designs for their clothes throughout, and the characters are always switching clothing. Yeah. And uh Every time a new thing is, a new design is introduced, it has a little bubble next to it or a little box that says, 
something about the name of the design and or the person who designed it and what like city and state they're from. Okay. And I'm I just been so curious because I I, I kind of think that it might be fans sending in designs and like drawings of yeah. different different dresses and stuff, and then the artists taking those and integrating them into the issue because it happens like the one issue that they have there's at least a dozen different like names and addresses listed next to them and i've been trying to verify and i haven't been able to find that so if anyone listening to this knows the, the truth behind millie the model's dresses interesting interesting point um and, and anyone should check that out i could totally see that because that's definitely that makes me think of like uh cosplayers yeah, getting sure. getting call outs and and shots and like letters pages today um because yeah. that definitely happens a bunch where they're like hey you know all these and definitely get like fan art and things like that which is always cool to see yeah um so that would not surprise me that's kind of a that definitely seems like a comics tradition. Uh, Peter calls out, um, he calls out pinup pages, which, yeah, definitely to me is a, I, I always think of it as just like a splash page because the idea, yeah, of cutting it out <laughs> and putting it on my wall seems like insane. Although I will admit over the last like two weeks, I got into cutting up comics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just just to get, just to get rid of pent up anger. Just, just like that. Yeah. No, I. I, I say that ambiguously as a joke, but like I'm actually doing like collages yeah. for my long boxes and, um, you know, I'm, I'm exclusively keeping it to books that I, uh, either have duplicates of or literally cannot sell. Um, it, like my comic shop told me, no, we don't want these. We have too many. Uh, so that, that feels all sorts of wrong, but <laughs> yeah, it's also sure. really fun. Like it's really fun to do. Uh, okay, so it, any others that come to mind for you, like like little sort of '60s relics? Um, I mean, a lot of it is just kind of the the stylistic stuff that they're doing at the time, like the fact that they'll throw Spider Man and the Fantastic Four on Daredevil number one just to sell it, right? Like playing off the I, I don't know naivete of the the audience, maybe just like oh, I love Spider Man, I see Spider Man, I'll buy it, that kind of thing. See, but that's that's totally a recurring thing now. Is it? Because I feel like now it's, you know, well, now at least they tried to hide it a little bit or obscure it by just having crossovers, right? Oh, I think they're worse than ever. I I, okay. I have such an issue. See, I guess I'm not that. Yeah, I have such issues <laughs> with, um, with covers that tease something that just isn't a part of the issue. Um, so like uh, the one, actually one that I like just cut up was <laughs> Avengers World. <laughs> And it was a, it was like a stealth Secret Wars prelude, and it had a big old Thanos with the Cosmic Cube on the cover. Thanos mm. has no role in this issue. It is <laughs> tremendously disappointing, and the comic might be fine in and of itself, but when you go into it thinking, oh, cool, a big Thanos story, uh, it, that's not what it is. So I don't mind the little, like, plugging cameo stuff. I think that's yeah, fun I mean, and, and a good sales tactic. But but this like real fake outs bug me a lot because I might have the the wherewithal to like read a preview issue, but a lot of people are just going to look at that and think I'll check it out, and it's just totally not what you were expecting. Yeah, yeah. Most of the stuff that I'd point out is just stylistic stuff, panel layouts not being what they you know they turn into. They're still very like structured and very rigid. Yeah. Um, just the overuse of narration boxes, but that comes and goes depending on the writer i mean that that's more like stanley stuff than necessarily comics at this time yeah i would the big one for me that you actually don't get reading marvel unlimited are the ads in these issues oh um, yeah it's kind of a, a bummer yeah i 
generally, I don't know. Like, I actually really love ads in comics up until, like, now. You know, it's like, so ads that are, like, actually targeted for modern readers. And obviously, they've scaled way back. Like, people do not advertise in comics as much as they used to or as heavily. Um, but, like, man, the 60s ads are just wild. Like, just the, like, stack. It's like a classified section almost. You just got, like, box after yeah. box of all these crazy, like, um, you know, sea cucumbers and <laughs> little toys and things that'll make you strong and all the Charles Atlas stuff that you've probably seen. X-ray specs. Yeah, like, it's so, it's just so fun. And it's such a, that to me is, like, one of the truest relics of the era. I love all the correspondence courses, too, right? To yeah. Be a, to be a mechanic or uh, to be a nurse. Yeah, it's like every every single one of those. I'm like, yeah, I want to follow the history of what this actually was, <laughs> you know, and like sure. look into like what does this thing look like. It's like every single one is a collector's item. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, you only get that if you're actually flipping through, you know, an old '60s issue. Uh, but man, that is that is a ton of fun if you can get your hand on a handful or even like at a con, you know, just just flipping through. Like those are just fun to see if you kind of enjoy the history of the medium. Hey, so I don't actually know this. The last time I read a floppy was probably early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And the the advertising there is dire, right? It's just all like video game companies trying to like sell Crash Bandicoot as like the new edgy R-rated mascot for Sony. Yeah. And just trying to like extreme teens, that kind of advertising motif. Yeah. Um, Today? Do floppies floppies still have ads? Yeah, I was just going to say, like today... I haven't read a floppy. The majority... So, yes, they do. Um, DC runs Snickers ads every issue, and they're in the form of a comic page, and I'm faked out at least once per story that, like, (laughs) flashes all of a sudden in the issue, and he's complaining about not having a Snickers. It always takes me, like, a split second longer than you'd want it to, which I would say, smart advertising, uh, very annoying. (laughs) Yeah, that's awful. Uh, You do get a lot of both Marvel and DC advertising their own media ventures these days. So, like, you know, hey, we got a movie coming up. Um, I I think that stuff's pretty consistent. You get... uh, I don't know, like little games, RPGs. Um, it's just, it's obviously not as prevalent as it once was. Like I've been on a, some 90s binges lately and I really love the ads in those because they have like a nostalgia factor that actually, you know, speaks to things that I enjoyed as a kid. And uh, they'll, they have, you know, Game Boy games and all sorts yeah. of other, con- like those things are stacked in a way that obviously when you look at it now, you're like, oh yeah, people were willing to pay a lot more money <laughs> to, or like better rates clearly to get ads in these books um, than they seem to be willing to do today, uh, which, you know, is probably based on circulation numbers. Like comics do not reach, floppy comics do not reach as many people as they used to. Uh, and it seems like advertising correlates. Not an expert on that, but that is my broad yeah. assumption. Yeah, I don't think that's a wild, wild jump to make. Yeah. Okay, that's our listener feedback. Uh, do you have any kind of overall thoughts about 64? I think, because I kind of think it was a weak year. I think it's the week, like 62 and 63 are, I don't know if it's weaker than those years, but it feels like they are getting better at writing, but these stories don't quite show that. Like, I, I remember just a slightly bored by most of what we read during 64 with the exception of spider-man i think that was a high point for me yeah i think it's easy to view as sort of a holding pattern you know like it is the stories are continuing but the the style isn't necessarily progressing um 
too too far from what it was. So like yeah. I I think this is the year where it starts to it becomes a little harder to talk about like the um what do I want to say? It becomes a little harder to talk about like this as a unique year. I think because it is of a piece with with certainly of 1963, you know, like stylistically, it's like they aren't that different. Um, and with the exception of all the characters that get introduced, which, which is true every year. Yeah, that that seems like the big thing to me is that they just wanted to bring in more characters, but the mm-hmm. stories didn't in the stories in the the universe didn't get fleshed out besides just more characters because this was a crazy year for villains. Have you looked at the list of villains that gets introduced yeah, this year? Yeah, it's it's extreme. It, we definitely can't cover it all. Oh, I mean, ec- extra issues is where I'm trying to like make up for that because, uh, let's see, Mandarin, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Purple Man, Dormammu, Green Goblin, Kang the Conqueror, The Sinister Six, The Blob, Baron Zucko, Zarko, Enchantress, Executioner, Black Knight, The Melter, Wonder Man, Electro, Mysterio, Craven the Hunter, The Leader, Ramatut. All this year. A lot of those are big names. Yeah. Most of those are big name villains that are going to stick around forever. And they all came this year. But they didn't get fleshed out this year. Most of them just got like a one and done. Like, here's a quick origin. Here's a quick plot for them to take over. And then they disappear. Yeah. I mean, you do have the team at this point. I mean, they're literally filling out the rosters. You yeah. know, like they are they are definitely still in expansion mode. And I think yep. there's also a degree, too, of like, oh, man, we got a hit with Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. What's the next hit? And that's where you get, like, Daredevil, you know, where it's they're yeah. just, like, they're chasing hits and they're chasing something that's going to capture the public's imagination. But, you know, even if they're not hitting, what they're doing is they're building out a, a universe full of characters, um, which, again, like, if you think of, like, DC, they have some of those already. They don't have to create them all from scratch, and they'll continue to. Yeah. Whereas Marvel, they have to add those, or they do not have the universe to compete. Yeah, yeah, and we'll start seeing that slow down a little bit in lieu of just bringing back old villains mm-hmm. and fleshing them out and having them have bigger, more elaborate plots and bigger personalities and motivations and stuff in the next couple of years, which I think is more interesting than constantly just introducing new villains. And I hadn't thought about that as a contributor to probably the next two years being comics that I like to read a lot more. Um, but I think that's totally true. The fact that you're returning to, we don't have to explain who this is. We can just tell you a story. Um, I think yeah, that helps. You, you skip the introduction of Craven the Hunter, Mysterio, Electro, uh, because their first appearances and their most interesting. Like, And you don't learn a ton about them mm-hmm. and them. Like, they show up, they attack, they get fought off, and then later we're going to see them fleshed out a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, I, I was pretty lukewarm on this year, but it's getting better. We're, uh, we're Dave and I are ahead reading in the comics. We're up to we're about to start sixty seven, and like, just <laughs> if this still feels slow to you, by the time we hit sixty six, things are things are starting to look really up overall. So our nineteen sixty five episodes, two parts, will be out on March fourth and March eleventh. If you want to get feedback into us for nineteen sixty five comics. Please get that to us by March 12th. And you can get send that to mymarvelousyear at gmail.com. You can find all the reading lists, of course, at mymarvelousyear.com, as Zach just said. Um, you can also, if you check out uh, our Patreon or the Comic Book Herald email club, um, those are sent out weekly as well. And uh, basically, you can get access to every year. So again, like if you're you know on 64 here and you're like, man, I want to, I don't really want to wait. I got, I got time. I want to read these comics. Um, go on over to mymarvelousyear.com. It'll take you to my site, comicbookherald 
and that will... No, that's not allowed. They're not allowed to go ahead. Sorry. You're not allowed to go ahead? They're not allowed to read ahead. Okay. And I'll know. <laughs> Scratch that. Scratch that. We do have a very I'll strict ban you on reading ahead. seeing the list. Yeah. Yeah. So um, don't do that. And do not visit Comic Book Herald uh, to see more of my writing. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, is, Dave is winking with both eyes. Yeah. Um, music for, for My Marvelous Year is provided by Disasterpiece. Uh, if you're interested in more of their music, you can find them uh, pretty much anywhere you listen to music, Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, etc. That's right. Stick around for some more deleted scenes. Cool, cool. And thanks for listening, everybody. This has been My Marvelous Year. We will see you next year. See you next year. Yeah, it's definitely the sort of thing that Marvel will get a little bit smarter about. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, Nick Fury, Nick Fury running covert ops, maybe. I like Nick Fury, but... Can we talk talk about Magneto as, like, ruling some country and that being his end goal is, like, I don't know. It, this is this is for sure part of me knowing, like, how interesting and how, like, nuanced Magneto becomes as a character. But this as a, like, this as a plot point feels kind of silly to me. Oh, see, I actually think it's, I actually think the opposite uh, for the reason that Magneto is constantly, even when he gets more complex is constantly seeking a haven for mutants. Right, but that that doesn't really come into it here. They don't they don't talk about it like that. He just wants to rule over humans. Well, he's seeking a world for mutants here. Like Santa yeah. Marco is chess piece number 1, and yeah. he's like first Santa Marco, next the world. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that's so. He he also like like w- at towards the end when he is fleeing Sant Santa Marco or Santo Marco uh and wants to He's gonna he's gonna set off a nuclear bomb and destroy it, right? Like that uh-huh. that feels like something that Magneto wouldn't do because like I don't know, like his whole thing is it's not necessarily destruction; it's usually like subjugation. And also, he definitely is gonna kill a handful of mutants by doing that. Like Santo Marco has some mutants there, but I mean this this is all like this is for sure me putting my notions that Stanley did not have at the time. <laughs> Yeah. who magneto was well so it's totally unfair like me judging it on the the basis of what it becomes later is you know is unfair yeah i mean sure i i do think like that's a common not common but that's that's a familiar refrain around magneto is that he's got more of a conscience um but i think like we'll see stories where he's he's absolutely willing to kill in mass quantities and he he does hmm. terrible things okay. so i i actually don't think this is even that out of character um, for what he'll become. It's more cartoonish, yeah, I think. Sure. Um, but it's, you know, these are the types of things he threatens. You know what also stood out to me, though, is that, like, I mean, I, I think the defining characteristic of Magneto is is his time in the Holocaust, right? Because, like, he kind of has that, uh, that experience of, you know, he's a minority in two ways, right? Yeah. And, like, and that experience of what really can happen when a minority becomes totally secondary or second class citizens right yeah. like so so he like he has this brutal awareness of what really happens to people and he, you know i think that that like fear driving him of like that he knows that this happened to the jews this could happen to mutants is like so interesting they draw a parallel between his occupation of santa marco and like nazis occupying for sure like the soldiers that are taking over santa marco have basically like german helmets and it's definitely coded as kind of like a nazi occupying france maybe or, uh, yeah yeah so i but again 
again, like that I, level of complexity won't be added until decades later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I, I for sure I am I am being unfair because you know like I I can't expect Stanley to know <laughs> in 1963 what he was thinking later. Yeah, an interesting way that this character has evolved. Uh, in you know I, I I don't see him creating the same situation as like the Nazis did, right? Like I think he he's called out for that hypocrisy though. I feel like that's often the the winning point in an argument with Magneto and even in present day yeah. is like you've you're now adopting the methods hmm. of your initial persecutors. Okay. So it's something we can keep talking about. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm I'm probably gonna throw that whole thing after the listener episode and blanket it with a slight like if you don't want to know about Magneto, don't listen any farther. Spoiler tag. Uh yeah, so for some people, you know, they might, sweet. Want, might not. I, I know for sure there's one guy in the Slack who told me, like, he hasn't read anything ever. <laughs> and uh, yeah. he is like, he just wants to be as unspoiled as possible, which I think is awesome. Like, I think it is, it is very cool to try to, like, read yeah. through Marvel history without any knowledge of these characters. So I get a lot of that. and uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to make a request. If you can use the x-men arcade game magneto saying welcome to die as the cut to that conversation <laughs> yeah okay. that will make me very happy yeah sure <laughs> x-men welcome to die okay so where did we get where did we leave off we were talking about santa so the x-men, of Infl- the x-men are in the, the country um okay. yes yeah anyway so just a second I'm pretty sure one of my cats is about to throw up, and we're going to capture it on mm, tape. That's always fun. Did you watch the Hellboy trailer yet? I did. I wasn't that into it. I'm, like, really disappointed. Yeah. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't that, like, I guess. I expected something different than the last ones. This is just, like, it feels totally similar. He just seems it feels like, like a lazy reboot, yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Like, man, where is the, like, thoughtful detective in, like the weird religious side like it's so weird that they keep casting him as this like characterizing him as this strange uh like a sassy teenager a sullen teenager or yeah uh, well it's like the comedy the comedy's like a side effect it's like an afterthought in the hero they're trying they're kind of playing it like an mcu yeah and it's you know it's it's like all gags well even if maybe that would work if the gags looked funny but none of the the jokes really it was like and they had like "Money, Money" by Billy Idol playing in the background, which was like not what I think of when I think of Hellboy. No, I mean even if I, I didn't have an attachment to darker. the comics, yeah, darker. I mean he he is funny like in the books at times. Oh yeah, but it's definitely oh, yeah. not like like he's not a goofball, right? It's often like, funny because of context, though. It's like the, where they're at. yeah. I'm not a I don't know. I'm not a huge Hellboy guy. I've read a bunch actually this year. Yeah, but um, but I I don't know. I'm not like I'm not like yeah. I got to see that opening weekend, so we'll yeah. see. I don't yeah. know. It's a trailer. It's the first one, so I'll give it time. Yeah, yeah. So Reed is furious, and uh, oh, sorry, I'm trying to fix the camera here. Like Blair Witch Project over here. Yeah, I I don't have a good setup for this. I need to I need to completely move my entire setup. If you ever need a nose hair commentary, just let me know. <laughs> Yes, I'm oh, sorry. I didn't. I didn't pluck for you today. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what what could they possibly be referring to when he talks about sloppy seconds in that panel? Really, like I I don't 
I don't know what else that was in reference to before it was in reference to sex. I like, mean, maybe it started out as like lunch, like leftovers. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. And I then just it became like, gross. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such a gross phrase. It's totally nasty. But did like, you read that Wikipedia? I did. It, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is. It is strangely vulgar. I know. I. I, I kind of thought like it, it, it's like Urban Dictionary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised. I was like, that, I saw like the same kind of even grosser description on Urban Dictionary and then was like, well, no, I want to find like really what this phrase originally meant because that's, yeah. that's not what it meant when the thing said it. But I love that he also mentions like, you know, something about giving love taps to the man. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's very good. It's a, it's a um, sequence of faux pas. So they get into a fender bender. The, the thing and this older guy start getting into a fight about who's going to pay for the repairs of his car. The thing tries to like buff out the, <laughs> the dent and ends up punching the entire fender off the back of his car. A, a stranger comes up and says, offers the old man a thousand dollars for the car who's mystified, but he takes it. And then as soon as this guy, this, this newcomer buys the car, he asks the thing like, keep beating it up. Will you smash it for me? Like, and, and then the thing's like, all right, I guess I'll, he starts, you know, smashing the car, punching, and he says, I'll give you $100 if you, you really, really mash it up. I'll give you another 100 And uh, <laughs> basically the thing just contorts it into a big pile of scrap. The, the stranger says, I'm going to go sell this at a, an art gallery. It will be worth thousands as a piece of modern art. It's a new pop art sensation, I believe he calls it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of funny. You can see through our, our podcast hosting site the distribution method for how people listen to the show. And, it, you know, it's largely people listening on their phones or whatever, a little bit in web browsers. We have one person who has listened through their smart TV, which I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think is very, very funny. I want to know who that person is. Uh, 